Super Talk Mississippi media production. Taylor Swift is coming to New Orleans, and Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and Super Talk are giving away a free pair of tickets. For your chance to win, go register now at Margaritaville Resort Biloxi and get your name in for the final drawing from Margaritaville and Super Talk 103.1. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Will East in the Element Wealth Studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder and fine music on this Friday y'all as Rhino would say. Morning Will. Morning. All righty, we got a whole bunch of stuff going on here in the Magnolia State and across these United States uh, today at 11:20. Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist with Super Talk Mississippi News, will join us here in the Element Well Studios to recap all the news from across our great state. And then at 12.05, an interesting conversation with Mark Henderson, founder of Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company and opinion contributor to Super Talk Mississippi News. He's a very successful innovator and entrepreneur on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and he'll share some of his wisdom with respect to that. And this is just another, Will, in the lineup of fantastic contributors that we have to Super Top Mississippi News. Please, for the benefit of our audience, if you would, explain the difference between the network and news itself. So it's a separate division. Um, Super Top News is... Here, we're opinion. We give our opinions about stuff. They're unbiased. Um, um, the news is, whereas we have our personal opinion, they don't include their personal opinion. And our news product, you hear it at the top of the hour and at the bottom of the hour on Super Talk stations. It's not just on Super Talk stations. It's also broadcast on about 40 to 50 radio stations across the state. Okay. So those news clips that you hear uh, from JT or Alyssa or Caleb or... Kelly, um, our whole news team, we got some people on the coast as well. Uh, those are broadcast throughout the state uh, on non-Super Talk stations, so it's really, really cool. Yes. And I, again, encourage everyone to sign up for the Super Talk uh, Mississippi News newsletter. Yeah. And they can do that how? Supertalk.fm slash newsletter, and they'll send you out breaking – and this is states that we, we do state stuff, so, you know um, – if you're interested in what's going on in your state, in your community, supertalk.fm slash newsletter, and they'll send out break when there's breaking news, they'll send those out. They send out a, a recap every Friday, which is really good if you just want to catch up on what's happening in the state. Supertalk.fm slash newsletter. They work hard, they do a good job, and you definitely want to be signed up for the newsletter with the primaries 
Less than three months away now here in the great state of Mississippi. Eating up, isn't it, Gerard? Woo! It is. I get... Uh, I'm on Brandon Presley. He's a candidate, you know, as you know, for governor uh, as a Democrat. I get his feed, his emails, and uh, they've been fairly regular. Of course, I get Governor Tate Reeves as well. But uh, I will say that Brandon Presley's are are quite lengthy. They're they're very long. Have a lot of content in them. And one uh, came out yesterday. The, the focus, it seems, from Brandon is more to paint Governor Reeves as just corrupt. And that state government, in general, is just egregiously corrupt. And Brandon basically lays that at the feet of the governor and Republicans. That's the cause for all the corruption. Doesn't go into a lot of detail on that other than the TANF scandal and seems to want to attach everybody under the sun to that. That's just my take on it. And like you said, this is an opinion show. I'm expressing my opinion. By the way, you know, after doing the show a couple of times, one of the things uh, our boss pulled me aside on, Mr. Davenport, said, Gerard, you got to have an opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you guys have taught me that, that, yeah, yeah don't don't be squishy, have an opinion. Yeah. Um, and that's the purpose of these shows. And that's why people tune in for the most part. They uh, And they obviously don't agree with everything, and that's what's great this, about This it. day and age, most people know the news. Right. They don't know what it means. That's right. I agree with you. I totally agree with you. Uh, because that's available... 24 hours a day Get from it on a your phone constantly, of sources. But w- yeah. what is an FBI whistleblower? Yeah, what does exactly. that mean exactly? A- exactly. What, what's going on there? And and it's a good point you make because the way that our, certainly politicians comment and and just make statements, it's like it's always half-baked. Well, there's some context behind that that's meaningful. N- look no further than all the discussions we've had on the show about the debt ceiling and uh, what you get once again today it's the doom and gloom stuff oh my gosh we're gonna default on the debt because i do follow hakeem jeffries <laughs> the and um a couple of others there adam schiff is another one nancy pelosi schumer i follow the president i follow just to see what they have to say so hakeem jeffries Every day, it's uh, it's something related to the debt ceiling, but typically what they say is just not true. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, follow her, Bernie Sanders. And it's um, what's disingenuous about it is is like we suggested yesterday, default. Here, here he is. Here's Hakeem Jeffries. Let me read that first. Americans confront the real possibility that right-wing extremists will force a dangerous default. We will always seek to find common ground with reasonable Republicans, but never compromise our values in a manner that hurts everyday Americans. Well, so you want to claw back $150 billion of COVID money, and that's extreme? That's extremist? You want to limit the growth of spending to 1% and return it to 2022 levels, that's extreme? Uh, that's what 
and and I understand there's certain words that really do um, seem to resonate with voters, and they look for that. It, it appears that MAGA is the big one. Somebody, I guess, has done a bunch of research on that, right? Yeah. Um, from maybe from Madison Avenue that said you got to use that MAGA stuff, <laughs> MAGA, because everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's got. It's a that, label. They, it, it it's is identity politics. It's labeling, identifying uh, people as such. I think it hurts them. And then what I mean by that is, all it does is make the right more determined, more energized. I really do because it's name calling to yeah. some extent, and forcing a dangerous default. I, uh, they're forcing it because they're asking for reasonable spending cuts. Reasonable spending cuts that you got to work as an if you're an able-bodied adult receiving Medicaid benefits or SNAP food stamps, you need to be working or at least looking actively for a job with 10 million available in this country. That's extreme. I just think that that hyperbole serves no purpose. We will seek to find common ground with reasonable Republicans. Well, what do you define as reasonable? Your definition of it, according to the president, is we can't cut a dime. There's no room in the $6 trillion budget to cut a penny. And any concessions are extreme. That... And you're compromising values? No, compromising values is running $2 trillion deficits. That's compromising values. I just don't – I get sick of the hyperbole and the lack of context. Yeah. And I will remind again, we still got money coming into the Treasury to, avo- to avoid a default. We can still ensure that we pay – It's not like the bank account's going to be empty. It's not zero. It doesn't go to zero. Now, appropriations, when we run out of money there, that's a different story. Like, we got remaining cash – to pay bills, and once that runs out, then that's right. And that's why we have these um, these fire drills when we get down to needing to pass something to appropriate more money to fund the government. That's not what this is. Just wanted to draw that distinction. Because anytime you see the left talk about, well, you know, the, in the Trump administration, the debt ceiling was raised three times. Totally true. Each time was in conjunction with a bill that funded the discretionary portion of government, a continuing resolution or an omnibus. But what's not accurate here is that we have enough money coming in every month to at least, at a minimum, pay the debt to avoid default. It does mean that we may have to cut, we would have to cut some other spending areas of government, but that's not a default. If you can't pay, for example, the people that run the Social Security Administration, that's not a default on the debt. You think about your house. You got money coming in your household. Well, I don't have enough to pay everything, but the first thing I'm going to do is, is pay my dead gum mortgage. As an example, that's what this is. It's tantamount to that. We'll step aside for a break right here on Middays. We're in the Element Wealth Studios just getting rolling. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Check it out. Let's do this. 
the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. The richly talented Glenn Campbell bumping us into this segment here on Middays. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. Thomas in Greenwood, I know, man. I I know. I've talked about it. So Thomas says, I remember the MAGA years. Spending was pretty bad then, too. I have explained this until I am blue in the face, and I'm happy to do it again. That's not the point. So, Thomas, unfortunately, what I see that is is, is left-styled whataboutism. What about, what about, what about, what about? That's really besides the point. In my view, I have also pointed out to folks on the right that the Trump presidency was no exercise in frugality. There's no doubt about that. However... It's also true that the vast majority of that spending occurred in the final year, in 2020, as a result of COVID. I should say the vast majority of the deficit produced under Trump occurred during that year in COVID. Now, here's what I have a problem with. The president and the Democrats point to Trump as being fiscally irresponsible because he did run up. Nearly $8 trillion in debt during his presidency. Uh, most of that, of course, incurred in that final year, about six of it, which included not only deficit spending, but money printing, if you will. That also gets kind of sideways sort of added to the debt. And that was in an effort to stimulate the economy. Here's what needs to be said about that, though. Every single Democrat supported that. And those were bills that passed the Congress fully supported by Democrats. It is true Trump signed it. He could have vetoed it, but it would have been overridden when it passed on a virtually overwhelmingly, um, I should say, unanimous basis in both houses. Because lawmakers were scared. They didn't know. What's this COVID thing going to do? I'm not justifying it, and in retrospect, it looks like we probably could have uh, kept the economy totally open and didn't need to send everybody home and send them money to do so because they weren't working. If you look at the bills that passed, the Paycheck Protection Program, the original Coronavirus Relief Act, which, by the way, boosted Medicaid reimbursement. We've talked about that extensively. And then the big one, the CARES Act, $2.1 trillion that also had a bunch of pork in it. There's no doubt. So, in retrospect, those were bad moves, bad bills, unnecessary. I'm not totally sure at this point the way in which we shut down the economy, even here in Mississippi, all done through executive orders based on advice from medical professionals, health professionals, scientists, and so forth. That looked like the appropriate thing to do. Maybe it wasn't. 
I don't know that we could ever know is the problem. How do you go back, well, let's test it this way and see what happens. I don't know that we can. But And hindsight is always Yeah, it's easy now, right? Twenty twenty. Yeah. So what I will say is, once again, even having this debate about federal spending is a bit of a straw man, and here's why. Because 70%, as we've explained countless times, 70% of that spending is statutory. It's Medicare, Social Security, it's Medicaid, it's a host of other federal financial assistance programs, and then it's debt interest. And that's just, it's almost etched in stone, and what I mean by that is without 60 votes in the Senate, you can do little to it. And the mere mention of reforming those programs, you can rest assured you ain't getting reelected. And the thing that politicians covet more than anything else is to get reelected. That's why that's their career essentially. So that's seventy percent off the table. Now you got thirty percent left. Half of that's defense. Half of that's the whole rest of government. Get rid of. All of defense. You still have a deficit. All of it. Zero defense. We have no more military. We still can't balance the budget. Get rid of all the non-defense discretionary. You still can't balance the budget. That's how out of kilt it is. Nobody wants to touch the part that you really need to to make the math work. And they will say, well, heck, I paid into that. I get it. I did, too. I understand. And it, it's not really a an analysis of what's fair and not fair and equitable and not equitable with respect to those programs, it's just math. It's simple math. I don't want to see anybody have their benefits cut. I'm not for that. I agree. They paid into it. They have a reasonable expectation to get their benefits out, and they need to. I'm just simply pointing out that the math don't work. What do we do? Privatize Social Security? Yeah, you could do that, but then you'd have to convert it to a, I mean, there's a million different oh, yeah. approaches to uh, to this problem, but there's zero. Even if you mention something like that, that is a reasonable idea, the left would say, uh, look at those Republicans, they want to take away your Social Security, and then you're out. <laughs> That's why we don't touch it. So what I will fault Trump for, and I've mentioned this before on the program, like everybody else running for office, you want to say things that people want to hear to get you elected. So I recall vividly he said, hey, I'll balance the budget in the first term and I'll pay off all the debt by the end of my second term. And everybody goes, yeah, that's why I want Trump to be president. He's going to balance that budget and pay off the debt. No, you're not. You're not even going to get close to that. Why say it? Because if you don't say that kind of stuff, you can't get elected. If you're honest and say, hey, look, I'm all for balancing the budget, and I want to start chipping away at the debt, and I'm going to do everything in my power towards that goal, but I can't promise I'm going to get that done. Nobody's going to say that. Ted Cruz, every single time Ted Cruz opened up uh, a discussion when he was campaigning for president in 16 against Trump. You may recall, his first statement, without failure, I'm going to repeal every single word of Obamacare. He said it over and over a thousand times. No, you're not. 
You, first of all, don't have the power as the president to do that. And secondly, there ain't the votes in the House or the Senate to get that done, even if we're all Republicans. Not going to happen. Why say that? When's the last time you heard anybody talk about repealing Obamacare from Washington? It's been a little bit. Because it's, it's, it's in the book. It's Yeah. And, the, well, the very first interview I ever did as a guest in this studio, in that chair, was 2009. And it was about that. And I said then, this thing's not only going to pass because people are saying, that's not going to pass. And if it does, the Supreme Court's going to strike it down. And I said then, not only is it going to pass, it's going to be here forever. And in time, it will get popular. And it did. And it has. That's exactly what happened. So why even discuss that? Because it's red meat and voters say, yeah, I'm voting for Ted. He's going to repeal Obamacare. I don't know what that Obamacare thing does, but I don't like it. That's where we are. Uh, It would be refreshing to see candidates be honest. What's achievable? What can we do? And even if you look at what McCarthy's proposing in the way of spending reform, it's just minimal. It's teeny tiny fractional. I think that's probably why his poll numbers have. Oh, I do too. The fact that he got that passed. Remember, I shared yesterday. AOC said, "You don't have the votes." What are you talking about? It's already passed. You sit in that house and you don't know this key piece of legislation passed. Where were you on voting day? Did you vote for it or against it? How could you not know that? And I agree. So, and I agree that it's good that he has put the president on the spot. But this idea that Hakeem Jeffries promotes that, oh, there's only one side here, and it's our side. No, there's another way to avoid, (laughs) to raise the debt ceiling, and that's just to sign on to what McCarthy's asked for, which is not only reasonable, it's just a start on really addressing the bigger problem, which is we're running $2 trillion deficits. This doesn't even come close to addressing that. When you, ha- when you have a uh, vote as close as what we have in both the House and Senate, you have to learn how to compromise. Oh, there's no doubt. And so it won, by by the way, by two votes. Remember, we, we talked about that. It won by two votes. Yeah, so Thomas says we need to basically says we're not willing to cut Social Security. We just need to embrace socialism. It's not It's not what it is. It's not what it is, Thomas. I'll explain the GDP can't keep up with the government spending. Yeah, that's not actually true either. I'll explain that when we come back. But there's an article in Mississippi today that was released uh, to this morning, uh, Will, I want to get to, and it uh, concerns some appointments by the governor. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Welcome, welcome to our show on Super Talk Mississippi. Okay, now you have a good one. Element Well Studios, the great Chicago. 
bumping us into this segment here. Appreciate that, Will. Gary in the Berg says, remember what the Democrat emails revealed? They vote on a motion. That's why if Democrats own words and phrases and don't get lost in the weeds of policy, many people don't pay any attention to details and only hear catchphrases. And the coordinated Republican response is Republicans need to get the word in the word or phrase game using absolute facts. Simple, repetitive messaging works. Also, Gary says, if your opinion is true, then it is no longer an opinion but a fact. That's true, Gary. And by the way, the voting emotion, Republicans know that as well. Um, And that's not a, a, a revelation. That's been the case for as long as humans have been voting. That's just the way it works. That's the way we're wired as humans. has a lot to do with how one casts their vote. No doubt about it. Absolutely. And that's why when they, like the SNAP benefit, you have to work to get your SNAP benefits, right? Yeah. What does the media do? They go out and they find the one individual who can't work. You know, They'll find somebody, and that'll be the story. Is we'll look at people like this. It's always the worst case of all, and it usually doesn't even apply. Um, is is typically the situation there. Yeah, uh, but people, uh, fact is, they vote emotion. They just always have, always will. Yeah. And so, when you can, when you can uh, identify a candidate that can stoke those emotions, emotions positively, and has good policy philosophy jackpot right and maybe ronald reagan was a great example of that if you think about it he you know from an emotional perspective he looked presidential he spoke presidential he carried himself so well and respect uh professionally and and it was always a message of optimism it really was i mean even the doom and you know when it was the news was bad. He always kind of had a you know city on a always did shining city on a hill. And contrast that to who he succeeded, uh, Jimmy Carter. Crisis of conscience. And his Remember? face, he's just always looked depressed. Yeah. Remember, he gave uh, the speech. Uh, America has a crisis of conscience. Yeah. See, it's your fault. Yeah, it's your fault. You know, you you don't have a conscience anymore, people. Hmm. So uh, back to uh, this article. Mississippi Today that I said something about before we went to break that they published today, and, it, and it's it's about various appointments by the governor, Governor Reeves, and it turns out, I know this is shocking, Will, that the governor appointed some individuals who actually donated to his campaign. Can you believe that? He appointed people that donated to him. How about that? But Brandon Presley, if he were elected, he wouldn't do that. He'd only appoint people that never gave him a dime, right? Regardless of whether or not they're qualified for the respective yep. position. As if the governor didn't consider that as well. So it starts out by highlighting Gulfport Memorial Hospital CEO Kent Nico, who, who donated 25000 And then he gets appointed to what Mississippi Today describes as, quote, a significant government job. Mm. So guess what that job 
is that the governor appointed him to. The gaming commission. He's a gaming commissioner. Oh, well, they make millions of dollars a year, don't they, Gerard? $40 per day that they are meeting. Lucrative. Oh, yeah. So... Why would you appoint a CEO on how to run a... Right. Right. And so it just so happens that he does support the governor, and he did donate, and he gets a job... I wouldn't call it a job. It's an appointment. And that's the that's really the point I'm trying to make here. That's not a government job. It's a board appointment. It there is no employment contract. There's no compensation. And that forty dollars is a per diem. That's not considered compensation until it exceeds the cost of the performance of the job or the cost associated with it. That's IRS rules, by the way, Will. If you get a per diem from your employer, that's designed to cover. It's in the code. Certain expenses associated with being away from the home, such as laundry. Do you know that? You get more when you it's overnight. The theory is you can't wash your clothes. I'm serious. That's in the code. <laughs> phone calls I got to call home back when you had to pay for long distance you weren't home so you had to call home it was in t- it was ex- uh, intended to cover that it's $40 per meeting you think this CEO of Gulfport Memorial needs that to serve on the gaming commission okay so I will uh, also like to point out that the article also referenced your humble middays host here. Oh, yeah, because I'm famous there, Gerard. I know. It turns out that I donated to the governor, and I was just recently reappointed. This is what the article says. <clears throat> Another one of Reeves' appointment from 2023 is Gerard Gibbert, the host of a conservative super top Mississippi radio show and regular campaign donor of Reeves. Gibbert first appointed to the Mississippi Lottery Corporation Board by former Governor Phil Bryant was reappointed by Reeves this year after writing several checks to Reeves' campaign since 2017. So let me get this straight here, Mississippi Today. I donated to Governor Reeves to get appointed to the Lottery Board in 2018 when Governor Phil Bryant made the appointment? As if when I was giving to Governor Phil Bryan at the time, there wasn't a lottery. It didn't even exist. Like, I'm giving money to Phil Bryan so he can appoint me to a non-existent board. That's how silly this is. Not only did I don't give money to political candidates expecting something in return. Now, you may say, well, that's unusual. Well, I don't know, but I don't. And what I got in return... Honestly, was a whole bunch of work, which is fine, because I agreed to do it. I signed up for it. When the governor came and called me and said, I need somebody with, with business experience, someone who's built a company and who understands information technology. Because you know what the lottery is? A big computer. And that's why he asked me to serve as one of the five members of the board. And the, you know my first two questions to the governor? Sir? 
Is this a compensated position? No. Will it receive any taxpayer funding? No. I'm in. If the answer to any of those two questions had been yes, I would have declined. I would have seriously considered declining. I didn't want to be compensated, and I didn't want the scrutiny of it receiving taxpayer money. I just thought that'd be more hassle than it's worth. So guess what we did? We built a $500 million company in about a year and a half. That's exactly what we did. And we worked, the team worked, diligently, daily, in some cases, for some weeks, decisions being made. Because remember, when the board was formed in November of 18, we didn't hire the first employee till June of 19. That was the president. A whole bunch of work had to take place without. We didn't have a building, an office, a team. We were building a company from scratch. I'm simply trying to make the point that I gave money so that I could sign myself up for all this work. And I was running a company uh, at the time uh, when it first started as well. But this is so out of context on their part. Like, I simply did it because my governor called me and asked me to serve. It's nothing more or less. And you know what? I don't think the $40 a day stuff, it's not worth me the time of the paperwork to do it. And finally, after about a year and a half, they said, you, you got to take this money, this per diem reimbursement. And I don't remember what it was, a few hundred bucks. But they make it sound like it's a corporate job that you're getting this huge salary for to sit on these boards. That's just not true. Now, and my friend Frank Lee, who's also on the Gaming Commission, the governor, Tate Reeves, and he's a big donor to the governor, he's a big supporter, he had to twist Frank's arm to get him to get on the board. And the Mississippi Today paints it as, oh yeah, he gave to Tate a whole bunch of money so he could get this $40 meeting job to regulate the gaming industry. Well, who do you want on those kinds of boards, Will? People that don't need any money. That's who you want. Fordyce knew that when he first appointed. Think about that. It's absolutely what you want. Well, they, don't, they seem to leave that part out here. And that's what disturbs me. We're taking a break right here. Uh, we're coming right back with the final segment Lots uh, of this hour. we got lots of text rolling in. We'll get to those. Stay with us. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. I get a little fired up about that stuff, and I mean, they can say whatever the hell they want about me. I don't care. Um, I know what the truth is, and I just explain the truth. Swear on a stack of Bibles 100 miles high, what I just said is the truth. And I don't need anything from all these politicians. That's that's what they don't get here. Like, And neither do these other people. That's what they don't get. All we, all we want, honestly... It's just good government, good conservative government. Stay the hell out of my way. That's my main request. 
Leave me alone. And honestly, Will, I never paid attention to government until 2008. I was so busy, so entrenched and immersed in my business that I just I didn't pay attention to it. I always felt like, well, they're there and I'm here. Just leave me alone. I got it. And honestly, it was Obamacare. I know we talked about that earlier today. It was 2008. And I started reading the bill, one of the few. And the only reason I did is because I heard the candidate, Barack Obama, in a commercial, campaign commercial at the time, 2008, discuss his health care reform plans. And he, he mentioned something called the employer shared responsibility. Well, as an employer, I said, I better find out what that is. This could cost me. Knowing how the Democrats operate and their view of the private sector, which they believe should just be responsible cradle to grave for everybody. So I started digging into it. And when I read the plan, I said, gee, this is going to cost me a lot of money as an employer. And I started firing questions off at my HR lawyer, who couldn't answer the questions because it's like, Gerard, until it's codified, we don't know. And, and that got escalated in that firm to someone who came from the healthcare industry that was also a lawyer working at the firm. They didn't know either. And so I just got more curious and as a result, and I started digging further into it, and I somehow somebody found out, I guess, at one of the local papers that I had been doing some research on that, and they asked me to write an article, and I did specifically about the employer-shared responsibility. Well, that got picked up, and I got called from, it was Andy back then, uh, scheduling our guest, our our content director. She said, come on and talk to Paul about this stuff, and I did, and that's kind of what led to me being a guest on, on numerous times, and I'm very grateful for that, very appreciative of that. But that's that's how I got started, is... Um, is with Obamacare, but all I wanted them was to just leave me alone. I'm taking care of my people. I don't need you to tell me how much more i got to take care of them. I don't need you interfering with my business that way. Still feel that way, very strongly about that. And that's why I get wound up about all these other things they want to impose on private sector employers, like we just got money sitting around to just dole out. The market will take care of all that. I don't need, you know, the six months of family leave stuff shoved down my throat. And then you know how it is to run a business? Think about this business here. There's some individuals, if they were gone for six months, what the heck would you do? You can't just say, hey, just do their job while, while he's gone, he or she's gone. You just fill in for them and do yours at the same time. So what happens is it falls on the shoulders of the owners, managers. But, you know, according to the left, well, they're exploiting labor. They're getting rich. No, they have to fill in the holes whenever an employee is not available to do it. And the, and you got to pay them. And the, the left just thinks, oh, it's no problem. You're making so much money. Just no clue, no understanding of just how dang hard it is for the hardworking entrepreneurs, small business owners in this country that live this nightmare 24 hours a day. What the hell next are they going to throw at us? Talking about government. And that's exactly what happened. And after that, I said, I better start paying attention to this stuff more. 
That's how I got interested in politics. It was from that. And so the the analyst in me, uh, you know, I, I went through the, the bill, and I created the obligatory PowerPoint presentation, 53 slots, that I presented to HR groups, the Federalist Society, Society CPAs. This was before the thing ever passed. And most people at that point still said it'll never pass, and if it does, it's going to get... It's going to get um, struck down, and it, and it didn't. And I know somebody said, what are you looking at to say Obamacare is popular? It is. Poll after poll after poll shows about 65% of the people in this country support it. And if you ask people, well, what don't you like about it? I mean, at the high level, what's well, too much government control and intrusion. I agree. In um, the healthcare industry. But on the other hand, when you start talking to them about the benefits they get out of it, People say, well, yeah, I don't want to lose that. Well, that's where it came from. That's that's what I'm saying. Like the insurance reforms, uh, as an example, that most people tend to like, even conservatives. They just don't know that actually came from Obamacare. We're coming right back. It's top of the hour. That means it's Fox News, Super Talk News. <laughs> don't forget Alyssa Arbuckle from Super Talk Mississippi News at 1120. Stay with us. And now. And now. Another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios. We're expecting maybe Tim Scott. You see that to announce Tim his, Scott to announce his run for president. President, and then uh, Ron DeSantis looks like next week. And you know, Glenn Youngkin has got a new video where it seems like that. he's kind of teasing that as well <laughs> that he might be running next I, week. I think uh, maybe. Maybe with uh, DeSantis having some stumbles, shall we say? Yeah, you you could call them stumbles. I mean, some people may argue with you on that, but I think yeah. that's the reason why maybe Young Youngkin is uh, thinking about jumping in there. But Tim Scott announcing on a Friday is a little bit weird. I don't know why you would do that on a Friday. That does seem weird. You're not typically you don't do that, right? Fridays want, or Mondays you stay yeah, away you, from. You, you want to release the bad news on Friday, right? That's the way that it's called a news dump. On at, a Friday news dump at five o'clock. At five o'clock, right. all the, everybody's gone home. Oh, you know the scandals hit, right? Uh, but if you're making an announcement like that, I would I would say a Monday would be better earlier in the week at least. Maybe he's trying to get a jump on the Sunday political shows, but right. I don't think his base is watching those a whole lot these days, so I don't know. Yeah, it's um, seems a little little odd at a minimum. But it is interesting that South Carolina has two people, two native Nikki Haley, Nikki and Haley, Tim Scott. and Tim Scott running for president. And South Carolina is a key state when you're talking about primaries, uh, more so on the Democratic side. 
Right. You know, that's really what won Joe Biden the uh, nomination was his performance in South Carolina. So yep. I find that kind of interesting that they have two there. In, um, and that, uh, by the way, moving forward, that will be the first state. That's right. For uh, Democrats. For the Democrats, right. They, they changed will, that. They are not going to do the Iowa thing anymore. It's become too red. So now I think, I don't know if it's this cycle or maybe the next cycle. I'm not quite sure on that. But South Carolina will be the first state that you'll see um, in the primary season for the Democrats. Yep, exactly. So that is going to be interesting, and that's why they're all descending upon uh, South Carolina, as you well know, because that is now the first place they'll go. It was, it was really, I think, the turning point for Joe was when James Clyburn, yes. highly respected member of Congress uh, from South Carolina. You remember it's when he came out and said, of all these candidates out there, I'm putting my money on Joe. Yeah, he threw his weight behind Joe, and and the South Carolina primary was uh, in a few days, and that propelled him and that pretty much off did to it. the races. Yeah. Yep. Right, on the ceasefire text line, are the editors and writers for Mississippi Day today outside liberals? No, they're – I don't know what you mean by outside, but they're inside the state of Mississippi. Um, and, and this one was written by – the uh, Adam Gunnachow, I think he's the editor-in-chief, is he not? I'm not sure. Uh, at the Mississippi Today these days. So, and it, it's a, you know, it's a lengthy article about Governor Reeves' various appointments and, of course, a discussion of uh, their campaign contributions uh, to the governor. But I can assure you, knowing the governor, as I do, that he carefully considers every single dang appointment, he considers qualification and fit and experience for the particular appointment. Now, is it sort of customary for folks in his position to appoint people that donated to him? Well, maybe, but you know what's most important? People that think like he does, that share his political philosophy. That's what voters expect when they when they elect someone to that position. So think think about the president and the president's appointments. Well do you want him to surround themselves with like a cabinet that disagrees with him? Doesn't and what I mean by that is doesn't share their overarching political philosophy and approach to government? Well no. That's what you elected them for. To surround themselves with people that align with their philosophy. And certainly think about the Supreme Court. Where would we be were it not for Trump getting elected with respect to the Supreme Court appointments? What if it had been Hillary? Think about what the outcome of the Dobbs case would have been. And yesterday, uh, a key decision from the Supreme Court regarding legal liability of social media companies and Internet companies. You remember that the case was about trying to hold them responsible for content posted by users. And the Supreme Court said, no, they're not responsible. Not sure it would have been the same outcome. But there, And there's a myriad of other cases as well that we can go through. That's just an example, though. The point is that when you have someone in that high-ranking position that is making appointments, 
It's probably more critical now than it ever has been, because as we've discussed here on the show so many times, it's the dang Byzantine agency complex that's running the country. Just look at all these crazy regulations we talk about every day, the gas stove bans, for example, and, and oh, we got the CHIPS Act, but now it turns out that in its implementation, you got to offer all these child care benefits and all this other stuff to receive the grants. That, I mean, there's a, uncounted examples of that sort of stuff that really, I think, extends beyond the scope of law. That's been challenged at the Supreme Court. We might see it again. Oh, gosh. Mike from Madison says, let's go. Tim Scott also asked, how did the U.S. run a surplus in the 90s? What was different from now? Did we just add too much in spending since then? And again, he lists in parentheses, Iraq, Afghanistan, bailouts, COVID. You left out the most important aspect of that, Mike, and that's mandatory spending. It's the increased spending on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, other benefits. Because the the U.S. we mentioned this yesterday, the U.S. population is getting older. Right. More people on these government programs. Right. Um, because of their age, and less people replacing them. So one of the things we had going on at that time, Mike, also as you remember, welfare reform was implemented. Bill Clinton uh, agreed to that. That did keep the lid somewhat on spending, but we also had huge revenues because of the Internet.com boom. So what's the message there? Get the government the hell out of the way to let the economy achieve its fullest economic potential? Guess what happens when you have that environment? Revenues go up. Yeah. That never that never gets talked about. All they ever talk about um, is certainly on on the left is they never really talk about what can we do to increase revenues other than raise taxes, which is a is a poor assumption and a flawed assumption to think, well, if you just raise the tax rates, revenue will flow in. No, it won't. No different than if you lower them, it necessarily means Revenue will go down, because that's not what happened. They still like to point to the Trump tax cuts as being the sole exclusive cause of the big deficit we're having. The only one problem with that, you see, the deficit this year is going to be $2 trillion. The Trump tax cuts, if everything stayed the same, which it didn't, is about one point five over 10 years. Again, math matters. So you're trying... Think about that. How can something that's going to reduce revenue by $1.5 trillion over 10 years, which is $150 billion a year, produce a $2 trillion deficit in one year? $152 trillion. You see the problem with that? Well, where did the other $1,850,000,000,000 come from? You mathematical geniuses, they just don't ever want to talk about the, the facts there. Mm. Uh, So Thomas says, even the appointments to the parole board. Well, you know what, Thomas? You can make appointments, and you do your best at that, but you can't predict everything that might happen when they're discharging their role as uh, in those board seats. I mean, you just can't. 
people are people, and they may change, may deviate from your thoughts and views and philosophy, but they are independent for the most part. Even if the government were to confiscate all the money in U.S. savings accounts, it would just barely cover the deficit for this year. I'm not even sure it would do that, most. It depends on what you mean by savings accounts, but $2 trillion is what you got to have. I'm not sure we have $2 trillion, maybe, in savings accounts right now. I know we've been draining them because of inflation. We just talked about that yesterday. Record debt, $17 trillion of debt. We're coming right back with Alyssa Arbuckle, multimedia journalist, Super Top Mississippi News. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. The rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. That music, of course, means it's Super Talk Mississippi News in the house, in the Element Well Studios. And today it's Alyssa Arbuckle with Super Talk Mississippi News, a multimedia journalist. All right, Alyssa, what's going on? All right, let's start it off strong with the James Williams III release. Yeah. It was released on Tuesday. Uh, I don't know if anybody's been keeping up with it, but uh, he was convicted for the murder of his father and stepmother yep. back in 2005 he was convicted but he killed them both when he was 17 years old in 2001 hmm. uh then he got a 15 year old named adam white uh got him called him up and said hey bring your pickup truck a guy came over at uh james williams he held him at gunpoint and said you know help me out here and then took their bodies and rubber made containers and put them in a wooden wooded area of a park that was back in 2001 and uh since then he was convicted to serve two life sentences without possibility of parole and uh, it's been less than 20 years after his conviction and he's been released Tuesday um and uh, his family has spoken out against it uh cuz it's his step family um, the the victims of it too, the family of the victims. Anyway, a former prosecutor, uh, Adam White, that forced accomplice, he also spoke out against it. Hmm. Uh, said we should not release him. Um, and yeah, but they uh, the parole board they voted three to two um, for his release uh, because they said that he had been morally rehabilitated. And because uh, he got his GED and he's worked as a Christian minister. And so he was released on Tuesday. And um, now he's going to work as the chaplain at the Central Mississippi Correctional Facility. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah. it's That hasn't been a popular move, to say the least. It has not. Certainly uh, from gauging from public reaction. And one of the parole board members, he resigned as well last week. Um what is his name? Tony Smith. Name. Yes, yeah. Tony Smith. Yeah, Tony mm-hmm. Smith. And he re- he resigned on last Friday, came out on Monday, um, but he hasn't released a statement about why. 
uh, or if it's related to James Williams III, but there's been some talk around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't said. Um, and so we won't try to presuppose Mm-mm. what his uh, reasons are, his rationale for resigning. He didn't even serve out his full term. Exactly. He yeah. served less than three years. He was supposed to stay. He was four appointed years, by Reeves right. in 2020. July of 2020. Yeah. Yep. So, so he stayed three of his four years. Uh-huh. Not mm-hmm. even three. It's not July. Yeah, not quite three. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well. So the governor has deployed Mississippi National Guard to the border. Mm-hmm. He has. What about that? Um, so that was because of last week's expiration of Title 42. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he deployed the Mississippi National Guard's 112th Military Police Battalion uh, to – it was on Wednesday afternoon. He released them down to the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Ron DeSantis, he's also done the same, and so is Greg Abbott of Texas. Both of their governors have as well. Um, but – Reeves said, and I'll quote him, every state has become a border state, and every day we're seeing the terrible impact of this humanitarian and national security crisis. Hmm. So he's saying every state, because of the expiration of uh, Title 42, every state, including Mississippi, has become a border state um, with the um, illegal immigrants um, because Title 42 allows all migrants and asylum seekers who reach American soil to be processed under Title 48, which means that, or I mean Title 8, not 48, yep. um, which allows that they, uh, anybody who's fleeing from danger, they get an initial interview. So, okay. yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's some other states that have deployed their National mm-hmm. Guard as well. Yes. So uh, the governor of Mississippi is, is not alone in that respect. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. All right. What about HB 1020? That's the one that would expand the Capital Complex Improvement District. Mm -hmm. Very controversial legislation, arguably the most controversial in the past session, and also establishes a new judicial district. Mm -hmm. Been some lawsuits against that? Two notable ones so far. Um, Action's been taken on both of them. One was with the NAACP. They had a temporary restraining order. Uh, that was last week, I think, that they yep. that ended up being approved. Um, and then this week, uh, this uh, Hines County uh, Hines County Chancery Court Chancellor uh, Dwayne Thomas he said that um, the the bill is constitutional according to state law. Right. Um, that he handed that down on Monday morning. An appeal was made uh, on Tuesday, I believe. But that's involving three, like, lifelong Jackson residents who filed that lawsuit. Um, so he totally expected it to be appealed. I'm pretty sure he said that in a statement that it's that he knew that he was gonna it was gonna be appealed anyway and continue moving. Um, but that happened uh, this week, and then last week the NAACP they had a temporary restraining or- order placed so that. Uh, U.S. or one of the judges, they, they can't appoint the judges needed mm-hmm. to, you know, make the court system yeah. for the capital. To create the court. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So even though it goes into effect on July 1st, mm-hmm. they can't That's, appoint any judges prior to all of this legal stuff hash, hashing A little out. perplexing, but I guess that they don't want to go ahead and make that move in, in uh, anticipation that there's a possibility mm-hmm. that the whole thing could get struck down. Exactly. But the... The plaintiff's uh, legal theory, I guess, what they're complaining is that uh, the basis is that it's unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's how they're trying to get the thing. They don't like it, and they're trying to find a legal way to get the courts to strike it down. Mm-hmm. But uh, Chancellor uh, said no. Dwayne Thomas. Yeah, Thomas, he even said that, because he's from Jackson, too, I think. I, I know him, yeah. Yeah, and he said that even though he understands the reasoning behind, you know, both mm-hmm. sides, mm-hmm. Um, that even though they're saying that it's unconstitutional, it takes away the rights of the citizens, he said technically, even mm-hmm. though he understands the motive behind it for lawmakers yeah. and for, you know, Jackson residents and stuff, uh, even though they both are saying that, and he gets it. The wording technically is still, you know. Well, he's applying the law, which exactly. is what he's supposed to do. Exactly, and that's without, what he said. Without regard to, I guess, opinion mm-hmm. or politics, mm-hmm. he's just applying the law strictly. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's I respect him for that. Yeah. In that particular case, so we'll see what happens with that. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that's probably the most controversial measure that flowed through the Capitol this past session. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens there mm-hmm. if we get judges to the bench. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, at some and point. the hearing is supposed to be for the NAACP lawsuit that's going to be for May 22nd. Okay. So that's coming up really soon. So there should be more information and more decisions about it coming up next week, I think. You want to tell us about Representative Earl Banks? We actually shared yeah. this story on the show a couple of days ago. What's going on there? Okay, so he, uh, he's been a representative for three decades. Yeah. And so he's from Jackson. Yep. Um, he was arrested last Tuesday, so last last week, and then he pleaded guilty on Wednesday hmm. um, because he reported. This is back in August of 2018. He said that he made uh, he he had a gross income of like forty thousand dollars, a little less than that. I think it was like thirty eight thousand. Um, when in reality, he also had like five hundred thousand dollars come in from. The sale of real estate properties. Mm-hmm. So he did not accurately um, submit to the IRS what you know his actual income was. It was not accurate at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was arrested, pleaded guilty Wednesday. He was uh, released last week on a ten thousand dollar bond, um, and now he's going to be sentenced in August. I think late August of this year. And he faces up to three years in prison. Right. Well, if he got arrested, that was more than just an innocent oversight. Mm -hmm. They would arrest because they believe it was deliberate attempt to evade. Yes, definitely. Taxes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he even said that they have enough, you know, information, enough evidence against him to completely convict him. So that's why he just pleaded guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Mm -hmm. All right. So. On to some good news here with our time remaining. Tell us about American Idol Colin Stow. Mm-hmm. What happened there? So Stow, he is one of the top three for American Idol. Um, that was released on Sunday that he he's still up there. Uh, Zachariah Smith, he was another Mississippi native that didn't make it to the top three, but he made it pretty high. Um, and then um, we have... Holly Brand, she's from The Voice. And yeah. She didn't make it either, um, but they all competed really well, yeah. did a really great job, re- represented their state really well. Um, but we still have uh, Colin Stow in the running. He's an HVAC technician. Uh, he is from Gatman, I think. And anyway, he's done a really great job. He's 18 years old, 
and uh, he's released a new single. Yeah. And I can't remember what the name of it was, but it's it's really good. Good luck to Colin. Mm-hmm, representing definitely. the Magnolia State with honor. Mm-hmm. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, Alyssa, appreciate you coming in and giving us a rundown. That was excellent. Lots of uh, stuff happening. I'm yeah. sure we'll be talking again to somebody from your department next week. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to it. Appreciate it. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. The great Smokey Robinson. Tears of a clown. And who's the clown that he refers to? You know? Paliachi. Paliachi. Yeah. Right. And the tears, makeup. You yeah. Know? I had the honor and pleasure of uh, meeting Mr. Robinson in person. Really? Yeah. He was. Um, but when in the business days, uh, had an event in Phoenix back in the nineties, and uh, it was like an award that uh, some of us had, had won. And the the as part of the recognition, they had him come in and perform to a fairly small group mm-hmm. at the Civic Center, the theater part of the Civic Center, which isn't all that big in Phoenix. And we got to go backstage and meet. So I have a picture. My wife oh, and I wow. smoking. He's got a beautiful yellow suit on. And he was awesome. And so, Will, he was feeling under the weather. And you could tell. Still performed. Yeah. And it was still magical, honestly. I'll yeah. never forget that. You know, today maybe the performers just bailed. But yeah. not him. He knew. We were all looking forward to it. And he came out and performed, and it was incredible. Yeah. As, he, as he always is, very talented, but kind of a something I'll always hold dear to my heart. I always love that song and uh, a second that emotion. Yeah, That's another one. It's awesome. He was quite the prolific writer too, wasn't he? I think he composed music and yeah, I think he did. Well. Yeah, that whole era, that that music. I, to this day, I'm kind of an old school type person. I like the the old stuff and yeah. To this day, I, I, I we held an event recently, and they asked me to put together. Some, I hosted the event, and they asked me to put together some music for it because I have a DJ background. I come from the music business, so I uh, I put together this playlist, and it was a lot of those songs like that. And to this day, I mean, however many years, I don't know that song probably came out what in the sixties. Yeah, yeah, sixties. Kids, everybody loves that music still. It's classic. And you Just can put pure. it on, you know, you can play it at a church, you can play it anywhere, and it's clean, it's nice, everybody enjoys it. No wonder it was so popular back then. Yeah, no doubt. Um, not sure we'll see that again, honestly. But it is interesting that younger generations seem to still gravitate 
towards the music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s to a great extent yeah. as well. It, it, it puts me in a good mood when I listen to it. It's yeah, just I do it. too. It's fun music. It's happy music. doesn't have a bunch of crazy profanity in it. And uh, to a great extent, there's always uh, kind of a, um, a, a love theme to it. You know, mm-hmm. a couple. Just a traditional couple yeah. in love, and which you don't seem to be able to talk about these days. <laughs> uh, reminds me of uh, you've no doubt seen the Adidas swimsuit ads featuring. Uh, yeah, a, I showed my wife last night. I said, hey, "There's a new swimsuit out there. You might want to check out." She said, "Show it to me." And <laughs> geez, if you haven't seen it, well, featuring a um, a hairy-chested male, transgender is what it is, in the dead gum female swimsuit, Adidas going to... They, by the way, Adidas has their pride lineup, and that's what it is. It's sort of cross-dressing stuff. I long for the days, Will, when commercials were good stuff. They were fun to watch, and there wasn't some underlying social justice message in the commercial, and I started thinking about the Carl's Juniors and Junior and Hardee's. I think they may be the same company now. They're the same mistaken. company. Yeah. It's a whole story behind the reason, but the food yeah. is the same. Everything's the same except for the name. Yeah, but they uh, featured ads not so terribly long ago that had uh, very attractive, scantily clad women in the ads that. Sort of didn't fit a hamburger, but they really bought the excitement, shall we say, to uh, promoting and advertising uh, hamburgers. But they finally, I think, took those ads down. Um, the, The CEO, Andy Puzner, said, I like our ads. I like beautiful women and eating burgers and bikinis. I think it's very American, Puster told entrepreneur. I like watching beautiful women bikinis, <laughs> and bikinis eat burgers. Eat. And that's exactly what the ads did. But, okay, so I, I just want you to know, bring those back. I'm tired of seeing social justice messaging in ads. I want, you know, bring back the scantily clad, beautiful women Am I am I making people mad by well, saying that? Have Is you this... seen Have you seen the Miller Lite ad that's come to? I've heard about it, but I haven't seen it. Sure. So you know about the whole Bud Light thing? Oh yeah. Well, about a month before that, Miller Lite had actually put together a campaign. Okay. Uh, where it was a female comedian whose name escapes me, but she was talking about how bad the ads were for Miller Lite back in the eighties and nineties, and they were going to and I would play it for you but it's got so many bleeps in it <laughs> I can't play it for you it's terrible this is an ad from a pretty yeah. large brand yep. but basically they were going to take the the old ads they were going to ground them up and they were going to plant them in the ground and grow hops and and make new beer <laughs> from these old ads okay okay and it also says that women created the first beer um, and, you know, all this kind of other stuff. But this came out about a month before. But nobody picked up on it, okay, until this whole Bud Light thing. Well, now Miller Light has delisted it off of their YouTube page. 
So you can still find it, but you kind of have to – you can't yeah. just, like, search for it. Yeah, you got to know you. where to go. Uh, so they've kind of hidden that a little bit. Yeah, I got you. <sighs> I mean, what's wrong with that? I, I went – just got curious and went and viewed a couple of those parties, Carl Jr.'s uh, – G- Carl's Jr., pardon me, that's hard to say – ad. And they said that they were going to – when they – discontinued that campaign. They said, we're going to focus more on the quality of the food at the chain. Why do you want to do that? I thought I thought it was making your food probably stand out to be more desirable because you had these very attractive young ladies that were dressed in bikinis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that were um, chomping down on a burger. I thought that was pretty cool. Unbelievable. Give me Sports Illustrated swimwear on the ceasefire tax line. And, of course, they've got to convey their social justice message as well, right? We have yeah. to accommodate. Same deal. Unbelievable. Let's see. What do you got to say here, uh, William and Brandon? says, I recall Pelosi saying something similar to what DWS said. Crickets from the Dems then, too. Who's DWS? I'm missing. What am I missing there? Who is DWS? I don't know. Who's that, William? Also says Obama flew in over 100,000, and Phil Bryant sent him a letter stating Mississippi would be taking in none. Why can't Tate Reeves take the same step? What are we talking about? Why, where are all the refugees Obama flew here? Oh, Obama flew in 100,000 refi- refugees to Mississippi? I don't remember that. I missed that. Oh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Yeah, uh, I got yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we discussed it yesterday. We played uh, the clip there. I mean, it's racist, xenophobic xenophobic, bigoted? Was it, uh, which one I'm said, Who who's going to keep our lawns manicured or something silly like that? Yeah. And Hammer and Hank Johnson said, who's going to clean our hospitals? Yeah. Wasserman Schultz said, the fruit is going to rot in the fields of Florida because of DeSantis' immigration law. Wow. Incredible. And get away with it. I mean, just get away with it. No, no media outlet's going to call them out or anything like that. Tim and McGee says, what type of women did you say the first time? Those were some mighty big words that I've never heard of. Ha-ha. You mean the scantily clad <laughs> women? <laughs> oh, gosh. I think the stong bikini should be mandatory, says Chris from Oxford, for gorgeous women. That is... I grew up in Memphis, and we saw Smokey Robinson and Marvin Gaye on Beale Street before Beale Street was ever renovated. Wow. was not a tourist destination. Fantastic. Wow. I bet fantastic show. I bet it was. That's Darren and Jackson reporting that on the ceasefire text line. I bet. There you go. Tears of a Clown by the great Smokey Robinson. That'd be Pagliacci. He's the clown that cries. We're coming right back here. In the Element Well Studios, one more segment in hour two, and then after the top of the hour, after the news, we got Mark Henderson with Lazy Magnolia Brewing, also an opinion contributor to Super Talk Mississippi News. Stay with us. 
with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. So Gary comes in and tells me that would be scary. Gary, scary. Gary comes yep. in and tells me he says, "Check, check this out." Yep. Shows me his phone, and I immediately know it's a snake. I said, "Uh, uh-uh, I ain't dealing with that today, Gary." <laughs> he found one in the van, the Super Talk van. He was loading up some stuff. I think he was on the coast loading up some stuff in the van, and he said he went to go take take it out after he had moved it. And something slithered out. Oh, my gosh. I said, Gary, if that had happened to me, I'd be gone. That ain't cool. I said, I, I just, I'd run away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just hope it doesn't get stuck in some of that equipment, and I'm <laughs> there on the show, and all of a sudden it comes crawling across the I want to give you remote. a full warning, oh, okay? You've been, you make... you've, been, uh, you've been warned. Oh, now I'm going to check it everywhere we go. <laughs> Look around under that cloth over the I table. thought he just walked up on one, you know, showing me the picture, but he said no. He said it was oh, in the van, and it gosh. said it got out. Well, what if it gets in the RV and crawls up in the bed there? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, no, that's not cool. No, that's not know. good. Not and I don't know what kind it was or anything. I don't care. You know me. I don't no, care. No, no, no. Cool. All bad in my eye. <laughs> we have actually located a number of, of speckled king snakes around our property. And uh my wife and I both though that's what they are, and so we Leave them be because they. My understanding is I'm not an expert on this. They chase off the bat snakes, right? Yeah, is that true? I kind of keep them out of your property. Jimmy Nichols has told me over the years, and he knows that stuff big time. Yeah. So I haven't seen. Knock on some wood here. Haven't seen any venomous snakes around my. No, I take it back. Last year I did, and in fact I sent a photo to Jimmy because I wasn't going to get close to it, but it. I, I noted that it. I thought it was a, a cottonmouth. Just uh-huh. from a, it was in my driveway, literally just across the driveway. So my, the lot next to my house is empty, and uh, and it's wooded, and so it's possible, right? It's not yeah. maintained by people. Um, and I I just noticed that you know how the cottonmouths still raise their head. So I, and I read why they did that. There's something about the shape of their body that causes them to do that. So they, it's about their eyes, I think, the way they uh-huh. see. And that's what tipped me off because I remember that that feature. And I took a photo, a couple of them, and I sent it to Jimmy. And it was at night, and I had my lights, you know, my car on it. And he said, yeah, and he he named what it was. I don't remember. Em- emerald something or another, co- cotton mouth, green something, I don't know. But – that's all I needed to know at that point. 
So I got my car and started just easing up, and it slithered off into the, that empty lot next to me, fortunately. Yeah. Hmm. Jimmy, of course, works for Congressman Michael Guest, and he's part of the the Mississippi Snake something or another. Snake, snake grabbers, I believe. Yeah. Snake handlers, yeah. something like that. He does that stuff, and he, and he knows what he's doing. The rest of us don't, like me. So he said... You know what he said? I remember now. Well, he said, hey, that's really pretty, but stay away from it. <laughs> it's really pretty, but stay I, away from it. You didn't have to tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Crosby Simmons from Inverness on the ceasefire text line, which is a 601-879-4395, says, Mr. G, we know you're a good man and love our state. Man, I really appreciate that, Crosby, and says, thank you for all you do for Mississippi. I, I'm honored. I'm humble. And, and this was when I was talking about the – Mississippi Today in their expose on those of us who were appointed to various board seats by the governor and this idea that we contributed money to do so. And um, but So I appreciate that. Adam in Saltillo says a few hundred bucks would be huge to most average Mississippians. And I just made the comment, Will, again, I think my con- comment taken out of context here, that when you look at the the reimbursement, which is really a per diem, forty dollars per meeting uh, on these board these government board seats, it maybe amounts to a few hundred bucks a year, depending on how often your board meets. Now the lottery board meets quarterly. Now the first eighteen months by law met monthly, but I can assure you, we were meeting way more frequently than monthly because we were building a brand new corporation. From scratch, from the ground. It's a little different than other typical government agency board seats where you're building a company. This was a corporation. It says, uh, maybe you're too rich to understand that. No, first, I'm not too rich to understand it. And secondly, um, I haven't always, let's just say, had the balance sheet I had today. I came from virtually nothing, Adam. And I'm, and I'm not going to apologize for uh, what I have achieved and accomplished uh, in that. Uh, not a single bit will I back off of that. But what I will say is, when you calculate, well, the amount of time I spent in that, relative to the $40 per meeting I got, maybe it works out to $0.50 cents an hour, but it's probably closer to a quarter, maybe a dime. And that's fine. I don't care. I don't, I don't care about the money. That's the whole point. I'm not. So I'm not downplaying that. We are out of time in hour two. Coming right back with Mark Henderson after the news. And now, and now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it's the afternoon portion of a midday super talk mississippi we are in the element wealth studios on this friday y'all and joining us now is mark henderson founder of lazy magnolia brewing company and opinion contributor to super talk mississippi news hey mark what's going on man 
And I'm living the dream, Gerard. How about yourself? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I uh, I read with interest your article recently posted at uh, Supertalk FM, an opinion article, uh, posted about uh, published about a, a week ago. And the uh, I'll just go ahead and share the title, BYOB, Good Leaders or Great Followers. And I never heard it quite put the way you did, but I concur. Just want you to know that I concur. And the main takeaway there that I took, that I always thought was so essential and important to being a good leader, is the uh, really keen art of listening, possessing that, and being willing, as you know, to listen. And I'm a big fan of the management by walking around approach. And that means you better listen while you're walking around, because you could learn a whole lot about your company (laughs) and figure out what to do. (laughs) So go ahead and explain what you said about the need to really be a uh, an exemplary follower before you ascend the ladder to become a leader totally agree yeah no it's uh it's interesting and, and i've been very blessed to uh, have have grown up in a time and a place right in the entrepreneurial world to have gotten to experience this in a safe place mm-hmm. and you know get introduced to a lot of people like yourself right uh, you've You've done a great job uh, yourself of, of being an entrepreneur here in the state of Mississippi, and then you know also taking it upon yourself, you know, as we move forward, right, of you know encouraging that next generation. You and I both serve on a couple of boards yep. that you know do exactly those kinds of things, and it's really kind of interesting, which is that you know a lot of people when you talk about entrepreneurship and leadership and, and where that is and where the where it goes is is that people think that you know that being a leader is about uh, being given followers. Right, that all they need in order to be a good leader is to be given the the authority, <laughs> right, and the position, right, to execute their will. And yeah. you know, the reality you and I both know is very, very different. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I used to tell people, "You think these people work for me? No, I work for them." That's that's the that's the reality <laughs> because I fully understand if I ain't keeping them happy. I don't have a job. I don't have a company. I don't have a job. I don't have any customers. I work for them. And, I mean, I know that sounds kind of upside down, but you know, Mark, to a great extent, it's the truth. No, it, it, it absolutely is, right? I mean, you know, if you're if you're leading in a large organization, you have 50 people, you know, you know, as a as an entrepreneur, you you make sure that you're never beholden, right? That you're never, sure. you know, in, incapable of of succeeding. But at the same time, that's fifty people. You can't do the work of fifty people. You can do the work of one person. You can do the work maybe of two people. Yeah. Maybe if you're superhuman, you can do the work of three. But you've got to get uh, all of these people, you know, together, buying into the common mission and, and really understanding what it is. And what I found was along the way is that um, you know people who could uh, follow, right? Who would sit down in a room and have the hard conversation, but when they left that room and they went out into the world, right, that they bought into whatever it was that we decided in that room, right? Those are the kinds of people that were great leaders because they understood the burden of leadership. And and that burden is huge, right? I mean, we, we don't get to share that burden with anybody. If you're the guy making the call and you screw it up, company goes bankrupt, everybody loses their jobs, right? You lose everything you've ever owned, everything you've ever worked for. I mean, entrepreneurs lay it all on the line every day. 
No doubt. And, and, and yeah. No, I was going to say, you know, as a, the goal I always had, and, and I want to get your take on this, is that my people, especially those, virtually everybody in my company, we empowered with some degree of, of autonomy and independent decision-making, you cannot make every decision. You simply can't. And if you do, then you know what happens is you're limited to you. You just limited your company to your skills and your capacity. But what you hope is that they've bought in to your style and your philosophy, your business philosophy, so that then when they make those decisions – for the most part, they make them as if you would have made them in the same way you would have made it because they're guided by that philosophy. And so good followers, if they believe in the leader, then they act accordingly, and then they're able to move up in the organization. Your thoughts? That's right. Yeah, no, it's it's 100%. You touched on two things there, right? One is, you know, you need diversity in an organization. Sure. Diversity of thought, diversity of perspectives, right? The ability to bring it all together and somehow in the mix of all of that, you know, you've got to be able to weigh all the individual pieces. But then at the end of the day, somebody makes a decision. That's right. And, and, and this, it's a critical piece of it, right? Because, you know, you got people saying on one side, hey, look, man, don't do that. I mean, that's crazy. That's high risk. You know, you get, don't do that, man. We'll run out of cash, right? Yeah. And you got another guy going, well, if we don't do it, we, we're, we're going to lose all of our customers and we're not going to have a company. And you got to pick this path. The other interesting aspect of that is, is that I call it uh, the race to the top, right? Is that every employer comes to work every day going, hey, look, I have to do the absolute best by my employees to do, to give them the best pay, the best benefits, the best opportunities. Right. And every employee in return owes it to the organization to say, look, if I don't do something amazing today for this organization, this this organization will cease to exist. Our competitors will outcompete us in some critical way. And if everybody comes to work that way, right, the boss comes in saying, I got to do the best by the employees so that we can win. And the employees come to work and saying, like, we got to do the best by the company so that we can win. That's a race to the top. And that's that's absolutely true. You want to be in that kind of organization. Oh, that's absolutely true. I mean, those are, when you get to that point, you've got a fairly high performing organization. And that's the, that's the ultimate goal. What you don't want, though, Mark, is you don't want those employees coming to work every day and more importantly, leaving work with some sort of concern. It's that uncertainty concern. They cannot perform at their greatest potential, at their maximum potential, when there's something they're worried about. And so your job as an employer is to try to take that off their plate. Look, you don't worry about that. We got that. Just do your do your stuff. We'll take care of those thorny issues. This stability is so important, isn't it? It, I know it, it's absolutely critical, right? I mean, you've you got people in the trenches that are doing the heavy lifting, right? They're doing the hard work. And if they if they question whether or not the mission is sound or whether or not they're getting a paycheck next week and they're worried about those kinds of things, they can't be focused in on the critical missions. And, you know, as a, as a leadership, uh, no matter what organization you're in, you know, there's this idea of kind of, you know, fake it to to make it, right? You know, it, it ties into a variety of things where where people look at that and, they, and you, you've, as a leader, you have to shield employees right. from the dangers that lurk right, right around the corner. Right. You, can't, you can't share with them the fact that you're absolutely worried that, you know, bankruptcy is just around the corner. Right. I mean, no company, no company sits on a year of cash. Yeah. Right? They can't make payroll for a year. 
that would be insane. Yeah. And yet, you know, something like COVID happens and it shuts us all down. And you go, how long are you going to be shut down? And you're like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, th- those kinds of things happen, but great employers find ways. And, yeah. you know, when, uh, when, uh, we got shut down on the, at, at the, in the beer business, right? We, we've got a brewery. We've got lots of employees and, uh, the shutdown happened. And, and two days later, uh, we're sitting around Leslie and I and the leadership team at the brewery, our brewer, uh, our chief operations guy. And we're going, all right, what are we going to do? How do we keep these people busy? What do, we, you know, what does this look like? Yeah. And we looked around and said, you know what? We can, we can make hand sanitizer. Right, I remember. And there we go. Yes, right? we, yes. we're, we're, we're down the path, and we're finding ways to do that. And it could, took diversity in the room. Sure. I would have never come up with that. Sure. Brilliant. But you know, we, we find a way. Yeah, and you're right. And get people behind, the, behind it, and off we go. And Lazy Magnolia mm-hmm. Brewing Company, uh, the company which you co-founded, first brewery in Mississippi since Prohibition. That's impressive, Mark. Congratulations. You've won several awards for the the craft beer produced by the company and also you're heavily involved in the community you're a you're a mississippian you love the state you want to see the state succeed yep. and you've tried to give back in that respect and that's awesome absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you, we we've I've, I've served on uh, like you several boards right yep. and we get poked for those kinds of things yeah. but we give back all the time yeah, it's and you're happy to do so. This the state's been good to you, the community's been good to you, so it's your opportunity once you've achieved some success to give back and sway it ought to work in my view and, and uh help guide some other folks that they can get to maybe the same path. Stay here and make the state better. Mark, congratulations again. Enjoyed the article and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Appreciate it. Buy some man. of their beer. Yeah, and buy some of the beer. Yeah. There you go. Appreciate Always. it. Thank Thanks, you, Mark. Guys. See ya. Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Interrupt this program. Gerard Gibbert. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. On the ceasefire tax line, uh, we have some drinkers. <laughs> the great beer produced by Lazy Magnolia Brewing Company. Mark's very innovative individual, by the way. Very forward thinking and just uh, all around good person. Like you said, we have had the pleasure of serving on a couple of boards and really have enjoyed that. And he, he brings lots of um, great insight to those meetings. Oh, boards. By the way, those are not compensated boards. Not even the $40 per diem. Oh, my gosh. Southern Pecan is the best. Thanks, Lazy Magnolia. That's Tony on the ceasefire tax line. Uh, somebody else said, yeah, love Lazy Magnolia's good bug beer on the ceasefire tax line as well. That was pretty cool when they got into the sanitizer business. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do remember that now. Yeah. I, I'd kind of forgotten about it. Yeah, it's like those old prohibition days. You know, you, you know they they had to come up with something. Yeah, 
So they yeah. came up with something. Use all those assets. Yeah. Uh, Johnny in West Point says, Gerard, in reference to the text in the earlier segment about being too rich to understand, my father-in-law told me years ago that when someone wants to make you feel guilty about your success, then they're jealous of you. Have a great weekend, Johnny uh, Van Diver. I appreciate that, Johnny. And I, you know, I didn't really mean to jump on the individual in that way, I, but I, I did want to make the point that, you know, the left thinks, well, I think maybe that's what drives my frustration, that anybody that achieved any sort of economic success in this country, well, they did it by exploiting people, or they gamed the system, or they inherited it. They just don't. They refuse to accept that there's just lots of folks in this country that simply took advantage of the opportunities that availed themselves to them. They leveraged their God-given skills and talent. They took risk. They worked their rears off. The market liked what they did, and and they achieved some economic rewards as a result. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is that not a pretty vital part of not only the founding of this country, but what made it the greatest nation on the planet? I thought that was what it was all about. And folks like Mark are willing to share their insights, their experience, their wisdom to help others achieve their fullest potential. It's not for everybody. I I get that. You know, there's a lot of people that just are somewhat risk averse. Don't want to do that. Don't want, don't want to sacrifice. Like Mark said, you got somebody missing. You got to go do their job too. You can't just hand that off to somebody else. That's just one of the millions of examples and the other things that keep you up at night. But. I think the left has kind of brainwashed so many people in this country into thinking that, well, anybody that achieves success, they're just evil, wicked, and unfair, and uh, have exploited the folks that work for them. They don't share. That's just not true. It's just simply not true. They always point to that. And unfortunately, I think that gets conveyed a great deal to younger people in this country. And they come out thinking that, well, gosh, if you achieved any kind of financial success, well, you did it because you cheated, you gained the system, you uh, exploited people, and uh, were you know just engaged in all sorts of other malicious, foul, malfeasance, whatever you want to call it, just bad activity, shady practices. They just can't accept it. Well, no, it was all done legitimately and legally, and it was a function of just drive and risk-taking and producing value for society. And they just don't see it that way. I mean, I talk about old Robert Reich all the time. It's always blasting anybody in the country and how unfair and inequitable they are to everybody that um, in the rank and file of a company. No, it's just not true. The market figures all that out. And then it begs the question, well, who should control that? You? You should determine what the wages ought to be, what job everyone ought to hold. I know that's what you want. That's classic socialism, big government, central planning. That's what you want. 
but that is, does not produce the best outcomes, and they refuse to accept that. Tim and McGee said, to hell with Adam. <laughs> My opinion of you wouldn't change if you were broke or a millionaire. From what I know, in all caps, you've worked for every penny and started it all with a dream. I'm proud for you. I appreciate that, Tim. And Adam can say whatever he wants, and I, I know he's got a, a mission, and you know, in the, in the ownership of his publication, they also have a a uh, kind of an effort and an agenda, and and it doesn't lean to the right. It leans very far to the left, and any opportunity and every opportunity they get to try to make, in this case, what I think is a huge mountain out of a tiny molehill, they'll seize on that opportunity, and that's what they've done. Uh, the governor, by the way, issued a statement, Will, said Mississippi Today reached out to Reeves' campaign before this story was published and asked if Reeves worries about the optics of giving major campaign donors or their family members taxpayer-funded government appointments. Taxpayer-funded? $40 for a meeting? And they're, that's what they're talking about? It, anyhow, the Elliott Husbands, Reeves' campaign manager, responded by email saying, this is our statement. Please be sure to print it all. Mississippi Today is a liberal Democrat super PAC run by proven liars and, in fact, was just legally forced to apologize for lying about Republicans as recently as today. This was a couple of days ago. Anything written by this blog should be viewed in that context. That's from the, that's from the governor's office. So bravo to the governor for really telling the truth, but more importantly... He doesn't have to defend who he appoints. He was elected duly by the people of this state. The people of this state understand that when you do that, you're giving the governor the power to appoint all these various board positions and other appointments under our law. That's the way it works. If Brandon Presley wins, he'll have that same opportunity. You think he's just going to go run down on the streets of Nettleton and find people to go put in these positions? I doubt it. He's going to do the same thing. He's going to find people. He's going to surround himself and appoint people to these boards who think like him, who share his philosophy, his his views, and who are friendly to him. Well, in general, that's people that contribute. They've taken a strong enough interest. And I dare say the people that the governor is appointed in these positions, they didn't donate to get those positions. I know for a fact, one of them they pointed out in the article, the governor had to twist his arms, frankly. He didn't want the position to be on the gaming commission. He doesn't care about that. And the governor said, no, I need you there. And Frank is extremely successful businessman. And the governor knows, I want somebody that's not subject to financial incentives in their regulatory role here on the Gaming Commission. I totally agree. That's the way it should be. So I respect the governor for applying that sort of common sense wisdom in his appointments. Man, I just uh, I, I just don't get it why we why we have to make such a big deal out of that as they have. It's called living the American dream. On the ceasefire text line, agree. My former co-workers all said I was rich just because I lived in Madison, yet I was driving a 17-year-old Pontiac Grand Prix. 
we I've said this before on the program, Will, something that someone much smarter than me shared with me that I've passed on to many people, which is don't count other people's money. Especially, I've been in these transactions before, these business transactions, and lots of money is going all over the place, right, when you've got diverse ownership. And you start getting people worried about what others are getting out of it, leading up to that. Man, don't count other people's money. It, it, will, it will pretty much ensure you'll never reach your fullest economic potential because you're obsessed with that. Rather than focusing on what will maximize my pocketbook. Well, you can't maximize it when you're worried about what somebody else has got. It stands in the way of you leveraging your God-given talents to produce the most. Uh, so, I'm, uh, i i got to tell you, I'm in defense of the governor on this one, and, man, this is, this is crazy. We got news on the debt ceiling just breaking within the last hour, the debt ceiling talks. When we come back, stay with us on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Going beyond the headlines, breaking down the stories that matter to Mississippi. Middays with Gerard on Super Talk Mississippi. He said, son, my name is Bordegard Rippin. I come to you from Tupelo, Mississippi. I write songs and I sing like a bird. I play licks on my guitar like you ain't never heard. Welcome back, everyone. We are in the Element Well Studios. It is a Friday, y'all. We hope you have a good weekend planned. So the Republicans have walked out of the debt ceiling talks, said the White House isn't being, quote, reasonable. You don't say. (laughs) Because it's unreasonable, Will, to ask to not forgive $600 billion of student loan that you dutifully owe, legally owe. That's unreasonable, right? So that's what they're saying. Representative Garrett Graves of Louisiana says, quote, until people are living, pardon me, willing to have reasonable conversations about how you can actually move forward and do the right thing, they were not going to sit here and talk to ourselves. He, a Republican from Louisiana, we decided to pause because it's just not productive, is what Graves said. It's crazy. So I noticed, I figured something was going on, and I didn't get the the news tease until I watched the market go from being up about 120 points, now down 85, (laughs) and you knew something was going on. And so, right. And so, clearly, what's happened here is the market's concerned about this. And the Democrats are back to their fear mongering. Oh, my gosh, the global collapse if uh, we don't address this. I still believe we'll get this done. Uh, McCarthy said, I see the path that we can come to an agreement. 
Joe Biden, of course, is across the pond at the G7 Leaders Summit. Of course, he can cut his trip short and head on back on Sunday. I bet that's what happens to continue these negotiations. What's crazy is I I just want to go, if I could, (laughs) I would love to confront the president and the Democrats and say, so you're saying that of this $6.3 trillion, there's just nothing in there that we can cut? And I know that there are people out there, so the Republicans say we can't cut defense, and the Democrats say we can't cut non-discretionary, non-defense discretionary spending, and they've all said we're not touching the 70% that's mandatory, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, other federal assistance and interest. Okay, so nothing. Well, I know people have texted us and said, you know, I've, I've been in the military. There's lots of waste. I agree, and I'm for cutting waste out of the military as well. And I, and I don't agree with the Republicans that say there's just not a dime that we can cut out of defense. Seems to me like we'd have a lot better chance of brokering a deal if Republicans would say, yeah, let's, let's examine every dime that goes to defense and yeah. figure out where there's a problem. We already know they got an accounting problem and that they can't... Oh, they, they, I mean, they do some... I'm telling you, they they uniforms give you a great example. The Navy uniforms about ten years ago came out with the new Navy working uniform. Okay, this is the uniform they're going to wear every day. Yeah, that's the Navy. Okay, what does the Navy do? All right, where is their primary focus? The blue waters of our great oceans and seas. Yeah. So they decide their working uniform is going to be blue. Yeah. What happens if you fall overboard? Can't see them. Can't see them. Okay? So after a few years of that, they say, what? <laughs> ah, that's a mistake. So let's let's change them back. I'm how, many, how many billions? I think it was like, and I, I may be wrong about this, I think it was like $1.3 billion they spent on these Oh, uniforms. my gosh. And the, the, the most common sense... <sighs> the, uh, an average person could have told you, you know what, probably blue's not the color. You're not trying to blend in with the ocean, okay? Mm. It's different if you're out in the field, you're the Army. Yeah, you want to blend in camouflage. But things like that. Great point. There's, and you know, with the um, it's $850 billion, by the way. That's their budget this year. You know that there's opportunity to trim some fat out of that deal. You know there is. So I don't understand why the Republicans, again, are – it seems political in transit. It is because the, the next round of political ads that will come out, it will say, Senator, Republican uh, – I'm sorry, Representative such-and-such decided to cut the defense budget. That's right. Take money out of you know the Army, the Navy, the yeah. Marine Corps, and the Air Force. That's right. And it is true that Trump – he made the point during the campaign in 16 that the, the Obama had gutted – our defense, and that that was a high priority for him to um, restore it and uh, re- sort of revive the military to more appropriate level to defend the nation. And so he did increase spending by about $150 billion over the first his first three years there and then kept it the same in the final year of his presidency. So and, and you hear him on the campaign trail. I'm, I'm sure most people listening have that. Hey, I rebuilt our military. It had been decimated by Barack Obama. You hear him say that over and over again. And what he's talking about is how he increased spending. And it's not that I'm opposed to that, but it's just hard to balance the budget when you're increasing spending in one area when you're not decreasing it elsewhere or bringing in more revenue. 
And so there's, pl- there's plenty of blame to go around for the financial conundrum uh, that we are in. The uh, There's something else that came up earlier about uh, Obamacare that I just wanted to talk about, and I, which I said the, the polls show that the program is, is popular. It is, poll after poll. Shows and there are a number of them. Somebody said, "What polls? They can't be right." Um, Sixty-five to sixty-six percent of the country uh, does support it. I will point out a couple of things. You're familiar with the concept of pre-existing conditions, right? You know, so anytime you hear the discussion about health care, health care reform, Obamacare, you always hear pre-existing conditions. How many times have you heard Republicans say, "I support"? Right? I support pre-existing conditions, meaning I support law that does not allow insurance carriers to deny, to decline a person for coverage simply because they have pre-existing conditions. You've heard, you heard that, Will? Absolutely. Guess where that came from, Obamacare? You know that before that didn't exist. There's an exception. This is the this is the nuanced stuff that you don't see a lot about. Since 1996, okay, in the law that established HIPAA, it included a provision that said in the group market, that'd be like the coverage we get here at Supertalk through your employer. It's called the group market, which, by the way, in the private coverage world, 85% of people get their coverage from their employer. That's all was already in place, the pre-existing conditions. It only applies to the individual market, meaning you don't have employer-provided coverage, you're self-employed, or your employer doesn't offer coverage, and so you have to go buy it in the end of what's called the individual market. There's at any point in time 20 million or so people that obtain their coverage in the individual market, but the vast majority, like 150 million, get it from the group market that have private coverage. So that's what that applies to. It doesn't apply to the group coverage. I remember when I first started my company, my partner's wife couldn't get on our insurance. My partner, owner, because she had pre-existing conditions. But in 1996, not only did that go away, there used to be a waiting period. You come to work somewhere, 90 days before you could get coverage. No more. See, all that kind of stuff. The other thing is insurance companies were able to sell insurance that that, um, had annual caps, what are called annual caps. Hey, once we paid so much in a year, you've got some sort of catastrophic illness. It's very expensive to treat. Once we paid so much, we're done. Then there was lifetime caps. Once we've paid so much over your life to, since you've had this coverage, we're done. Now, the cost of coverage was lower when you had those caps. So that doesn't exist anymore. You haven't heard much about that. Can you remember even the last time you heard about lifetime or annual caps? In a while. Yeah. Guess what prohibits that, Obamacare? The only point I'm trying to make is there are certain reforms that most people would say, yeah, I like that. We need to have that. I don't think people ought to be denied for for pre-existing conditions. I don't think insurance companies ought to be limited for um, a year 
or for uh, uh, over a life. Something else is called community rating, and that allowed insurance companies to charge more to females than males because they tend to use more, tend to get sick, or if you got some other health issues. Age is the other big one. Age. You could charge old people a whole lot more than you could charge young people for obvious reasons. So what Obamacare did is it limits that ratio. I think it's three to one. But prior to that, some carriers may have a five or eight to one. You're an old person, your coverage is this. You're a young person, your coverage is this. And that's how that worked. All that went away. Most people say, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Now, it's not that I don't think it's a good idea. Here's what that costs. The price to go up. That's the part the Democrats never got. Well, you can mandate this all day long, but the insurance companies are going to charge more for it. That's how it works. Coming right back with the final segment on Middays. Before we're out of here for the weekend, we're in the Element Well Studios. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. and John bumping us into the final segment on this Friday all on middays from the Element Well Studios. Most folks don't understand the role of private board members, much less public board members. Says Jack in Jacktown. Yeah, and, and Jack, of course, most private board positions are compensated. Some are highly compensated, as a matter of fact. But in general, public board, unless it's like the parole board, for for example. Now, that's a compensated position, but that's virtually a full-time job. They meet, uh, if I'm not mistaken, daily. I mean, there's that much business that comes before that board. It's a daily sort of deal. Uh, my friend Sharon and Brandon says, tell these haters to stop acting like an entitled toots. <laughs> she likes when I refer to um, some of um, some of our folks that we feature on uh, video, or sound, I should say, when we play those clips. and They're usually wrong in what they say. <laughs> and I sometimes will refer to them as toots. <laughs> uh, let's see here on the ceasefire text line. Oh, wow. Once again, you make great points. However, you are generalizing when you suggest the entire left feels that all people who have worked hard and have wealth have done so nefariously. That's inaccurate. All left-leaning people do not feel this way. You're doing this is the same logic as brainwashing. Your audience respects your opinions and projects these. Many in your audience take your words to the bank. All Ds are not bad. All Rs are not bad. Is it possible to say some people on the left because that is accurate? In fact, some people on the right feel that wealthy people have come into it dishonestly as well. 
We can only bridge the divisiveness if we start at the grassroots level and learn about each other without generalizations and stereotypes. You have a microphone and a platform to impart real change in our state where divisions are concerned. If you want to, with a smiley face, just be fair and accurate. It's not all of us. Hard work and a spirit of entrepreneurship is what built America, and it's true regardless of party. It's possible to make that point without generalizing stereotyping and making evil one political party over another. Bad eggs on both sides, as you well know. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for reading. I learn a lot every day. JL, listening online, North Mississippi. Appreciate that feedback, uh, JL. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and, and I think my frustration stems from the fact that while I believe there probably are people, and I say probably, on the left that do respect entrepreneurship in free markets um, in general, they need to speak up more. That's, that's where my frustration is. They seem to be unwilling to go against the grain of their own party. And what I'm referring to when I say Democrats, and I need to clarify this, I'm for the most part, and in this case, referring to elected Democrats. I don't see any of them come out, especially the ones in leadership. I don't see them come out ever, honestly, and defend private businesses or entrepreneurs. The president's in bed with labor unions, as are many of the other Democrats, and it's folks like Robert Wright, who's a big-time Democrat, and Hakeem Jeffries. These people seem to have deep, harbor deep contempt for the private sector system in this country, for capitalism. That's the problem I have. So if it sounds like I'm generalizing, I accept what you're saying, that I do believe there are rank-and-file people on the left and Democrats that do respect the systems and and do... Um, a lot of times ones that were in the private sector at one point in their lives and had to make a payroll and yeah, all that sure. kind of stuff. Uh, so I, I agree with you. And I also agree and accept the point made that there are people on the right that uh, it frustrates me as well. Well, they make too much money. Well, how much should they make? And nobody will ever answer that. And who should decide that? Uh, just as an example, and I I disagree with that. That's I think that's as um, as faulty as is uh, so many on the left who do have this um, uh, again this disdain for free markets and, and capitalism. So I guess it doesn't help. Well, I certainly appreciate what you're saying there, JL. It doesn't help again when the president throughout leadership and so many of the prominent Democrats that really is where I'm taking this cue from, they show their true colors every single day. And I'll be just honest with you guys, as a as an entrepreneur, as a small business owner, I feel like they're just attacking all the time. And I'm not alone in this. You just feel like they're coming after you. They don't like you. They're not they're mad. You got a head. And you feel like you're a, got a target on your back all the time. It's just wrong. No, you need to be helping us. So guess what? We can create more jobs, more wealth, more prosperity. They just don't seem to understand that concept. We are out of time here today. We thank you so much for joining us and engaging. I hope you have a great weekend. We're back here again on Monday. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. 
Talk Mississippi Media Production.